0: Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today.
1: What's up, guys? Thanks for taking the time out of your day to join us on this Friday edition of the Glory UGA podcast. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, I'm Tyler, and I'm here with my co-host, Curtis. We have a really good show for you guys, at least we like to think it's a really good show. Uh, As we are going to parse through and analyze some of the pre-spring practice comments that head coach Kirby Smart made earlier in the week on his appearance on the Bulldog Hotline. Uh, Outside of signing day, we haven't really heard all that much from the head man himself during the offseason, but with spring practice set to open next Tuesday, the 21st, Coach Smart did make an appearance uh, on the Bulldog Hotline and had some pretty interesting things to say on a range of topics. So, what we did is we went and pulled a number of uh, the direct quotes from that interview and we're going to talk about uh, whether we are buying or selling what he had to say about a couple different things. But Before we get there, uh, we do want to quickly remind you to check us out on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can interact with us there or via email at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I also want to remind you that in order to make it um, easier to access, the show is... Now up on a variety of platforms. We're up on what a uh, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh missing something. Oh, Google Play, if that's something you guys uh, have downloaded on your phones or on your computer or iPad, whatever it might be. Uh we always appreciate the support y'all give us each and every week. And if you do get a chance, it would be awesome if you could subscribe to us on iTunes or any of the other platforms and also give us a review as well if you have a little extra time on your hands, which I know is hard to come by. All right, uh, today's show, we're going to call this segment Coach Speak. I, I know, it's not the most original name in the world, but we're going to roll with it. Uh, Kurt, don't you love a good Kirby press conference or interview? Um, at times, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's always something happening. Either someone's feelings are going to be hurt or something. I love it. Maybe it's because it's the, it's the extremes between the Rick Dara and Kirby. Uh, Rick, Rick was always pretty reserved in his comments and was, would never really call players out. Uh, and you just never really got a, a true take on things, uh, at least from his his perspective. You get a few items here and there. You always get the scrimmage stats, which we all fawned over for whatever reason. But uh, with Kirby, man, he I for one love him in a press conference setting. He's open, he's blunt, he pulls no punches, he says what he means, and he means what he says. And Uh, Like you mentioned, he often uses his press conferences and interviews as a a tool to kind of send messages to his players, but regardless, for the show today, uh, as I said, we've pulled some direct quotes from Kirby's interview on the Bulldog Hotline show this week, and we're going to play a little buy or sell action with what he had to say. Uh, So Kurt, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a quote, a direct quote from Kirby, and then I want you to just tell me if you are buying or selling what he had to say. Sound good? Yep. All right. Uh, Let's start with this quote from Kirby in response to a question about the possibility of using Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb in the backfield at the same time on a maybe more frequent basis. And this is a direct quote from Kirby. Quote, I think that's a very popular question. I've heard it for years. In the years I was at Alabama, that was always one of my favorites because there was always two good backs. I do think you have to be careful though. As a defensive coordinator, I prefer to see those two guys together because one of them does not have the ball. And when one of them does not have the ball, we ask, "What are they doing?" So, Kurt, buy or sell? We should use, this statement. We should utilize sets with both Sony and Nick in the backfield on a more frequent basis. Are you buying or selling that?
0: Um, I'm buying it. I think the biggest thing about it is that, um, it's one of those where you, you can't key on just one person. Um, it has it has a defense, you know, especially most of the people in the moment has them really wondering what's going, who's the key, who's the main person to look at. Um, it allows you to have a, uh, you know a chance of deception. like if you're going with a one back set or an eye formation, the majority of the time you know if, if it's not a handoff to the, to the main back, then it's a pass play. So if you have both back there, it's one of those where you can hand it off to the up guy or the or the back guy. I mean it's one of those things that just gives you so many more options to mix up what you're doing.
1: I kinda somewhat disagree with you. I really see both sides see like I understand what you're saying makes total sense. I have... mean, it's better than having
0: just one, where you can key on him with with all with all attention, knowing if it's not him, him it's gonna go somewhere else. So just like think about think about it in the uh, South Carolina game, Sony's freshman year when Sony caught that touchdown pass out of the back out, when he was in the slot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, but that's not necessarily in the backfield at the same time. Having one guy I mean, in the but, slot, but, I mean,
0: he, he, it's the same thing of having him on the field at the same time. If he's in the backfield, you can put him in motion and spread him out.
1: Yeah, I, I I see that. I think well, I hear this from fans sometimes. okay, you see two great backs, Sony and Nick. Uh, they both deserve their fair share of carries. They both bring something to the table. Maybe a little different something to the table. I would argue they're more similar than people want to want to say. But there there are certain different certainly differences in their games. So you see two two guys do two different somewhat different skill sets, and you say, well, it makes sense. You want your best players on the field. So you put them both back there at the same time. And I think sometimes it absolutely can work out. Like you said, you know, there's the touchdown pass in his career. Sometimes this year we did some things with him. And
0: see, I don't, I don't think it's something you do 100% of the time. I think it's something you sprinkle
1: in. Yeah, I'm okay with sprinkling it. Like, that's – I think there's – and when you do it occasionally, there can be some deception there. You make the defense think – it certainly cannot be a base part of your offense. No, like, it
0: can't be your base formation.
1: Without, that's in, the, in no way, shape, or form. And, and I'm not saying way. everyone who brings that up is, is advocating for that, but there are those out there who's like, I don't. why aren't they, are they on the field there all the same time? I, I mean, I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're thinking on the surface, but look at it from it, like Kirby's right, thinking of it as a defensive coordinator from that perspective. He's right in saying that if one of them has the ball, what the hell is the other one doing? It, you can the only value of having them out there is to serve as a decoy. If they're not the one getting the ball, and it, with defenses today as as well as they scout teams as advanced as statistics and scouting has gotten, you can kind of look at tendencies and I mean and, and have a basic idea, or at least have a certain key on what you're looking at, that can maybe neutralize that deception advantage to a degree. Now, there's certain things, you know, if, if it's a new package you haven't shown out to anyone at all and you put them out there and both on the field at the same time, well, then of course that negates any kind of scouting advantage at all. So you, you can say that. But if they're both out there at the same time, one of them gets the ball, the other is clearly not getting the ball. So if they're if, outside of being maybe a deceptive force out there, they're not doing anything. Because to put them out there, who are you taking off the field? You have to ask yourself that. If you put both of them in the back at the same time, who are you taking off the field? Are you taking a tight end off the field? Are you taking a fullback off the field? Because that takes away one of your blockers. And does that deception, that by having both of them on the field, does that take enough of the potential defenders out of the equation more so than having a blocker in there who could actually match up and block that that potential defender? I think you have to ask those questions. And it's not as easy just saying, let's put them both back in there. Because you can't have 12 guys on the field. You got If you put them in, you're taking somebody out. So who are you taking out? And is, is, do you have more value by putting both those guys in the back for the same time versus having an additional blocker or an additional rec- receiver in the game? I don't know. It's an interesting question. I think there are, there are times and situations where it could work. Um, but it's not something I'd I, I look towards us having an extensive package of, of those kind of sets. And I don't think that's something that I really would advocate for. But that's just me. But I mean, from time to time, it absolutely could be something that we could use to our advantage. Uh, all right, next. In response to a question about Bryce Ramsey's impending transfer, transfer a little discussion about that, Kirby had this to say about the quarterback position. Quote, the quarterback position, everyone thinks it is great, but for us, it is scary. We don't have enough depth there. So, Kurt, are you buying or selling? The quarterback situation is indeed scary for us right now going into 2017. Um, I'm going to buy it
0: because I think the biggest thing is this year you want the ability to redshirt Jay From." More than likely, and with no true backup, there's not a great chance of that ability.
1: With no true backup outside of Jake Fromm. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, in an ideal world, and I think our coaches would admit this, in an ideal world, you have Eason start this year, 2017, you have him start 2018 as a true junior. He performs well enough to where he's able to go get drafted um, high up in the NFL draft in the top ten somewhere. And then you have Jake Fromm, who redshirts – in 2017, sixth as a redshirt freshman under Eason in 2018, and then has potentially three years on his own if he stays through his redshirt senior year, okay? That would be the ideal setup for us moving forward, right? Wouldn't you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I think that's what they want, a little bit more class separation.
1: Yeah, but if, now with with Ramsey leaving, I, I'll be honest, like, I've been kind of, I don't say on pins and needles, but I've been somewhat nervous over Bryce Ramsey's decision because... Not that I'm counting on Ramsey to play any snaps for us, but if, you know, by God, something unfortunate happens to Eason, I would, I really wanted Ramsey in there to preserve that red shirt of Fromm. I think that's pretty important for the future of this program down the road, Uh, especially if you don't end up landing an elite quarterback in this class. So we might, there's still a lot of time left, we don't know. Um, Because now, if Eason goes down, can you afford to keep uh, Fromm's red shirt? No, you gotta you gotta burn it. If Easton goes down and we're in contention, it's depending. I guess depending on what point in the season. If we're still in contention, clearly, if you think Fromm's the best option, Easton goes down. You burn the red shirt, even if it's late in the season. Um, but you know, circumstances might dictate that. If you're, let's say, it's the last couple games of this season and we're, well, I don't know what, six and four. In that scenario, do you burn Fromm's red shirt if Easton goes down, or you just put somebody else in there? You put a uh, Stephen there? Or, Parker McLeod, yeah. I, really, would you in that scenario?
0: I mean, as much as you would like to keep winning some games, you also
1: you don't know how much it would change in those last two games. And I'll also say though, if we're six and four, and it comes down to the stretch like that, there might be a chance the Fromm is they're looking at getting him some serious snaps anyway to take that position. If 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 he's not performing to the point that we're six and four down the stretch, because that would be, I mean, I think at this point we'd all be disappointed with that. I, th- I would. I know I, f- for one, would. So, yeah, I-, I do think the quarterback situation is scary because I want to preserve Fromm's red shirt. And-, and even if it's even if you take the red shirt out of the equation, we only have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster right now. So if Eason goes down, then Fromm takes over, and who's your backup? If Fromm goes down, I mean, is it Stetson been a guy we just took on as a preferred walk-on uh, in this past class? Is it Parker McLeod, a guy that we got transferred in uh, before last season, I, uh, where do we go? So that's that's it. that's an interesting and very frightening proposition for us. I think Kirby's spot on. Like everyone thinks it's great because we have two elite, talented quarterbacks in uh, Easton and from, the two Jakes. But if there's an injury or two, we are in major trouble. So I, I do think it's scary. Uh, all right, uh, let's skip down here to this question. Now, this next quote I found to be perhaps the most interesting thing he had to say through the entirety of the interview. And this quote came in response to a question about the possibility of Jim Cheney tweaking our offensive scheme going into 2017. Uh, Kirby said, quote, you have to change it up. You cannot sit there in the I nowadays, the I formation. There are just too many teams that attack you. You have to be in one back set. You have to have a lot of packages to mix it up. And you have to find guys who can block and play in space. Teams are scoring a little more nowadays because they were able to do RPOs and they are not doing that out of a traditional eye set with a traditional fullback. So, Kurt, my question for you in uh, looking at that quote is this. Are you buying or selling that the I-formation is an antiquated system that cannot serve as a schematic basis of a championship caliber offense? This oh, I'm not buying it. I think it's definitely very true. I mean, even as much as Bama was doing it for a
0: while, things have changed so much that if they hadn't changed, they were having to change their offense with Kiffin to still be able to compete with teams I mean some of those games like the last two national championships they were in especially the one they won against Clemson if if they hadn't yeah. Um, if they hadn't been scoring, they wouldn't have won it because while their defense was good, they needed to score
1: some points. I think, and I know this is not an Alabama podcast, and we don't want everything to always come back to Alabama. But you, I think you made a fair but see, point. They were
0: a team that was a traditional
1: I formation, right? That's what I was going to say. The, like they season, yeah. Alabama was the prototype of I formation power football, and well, and they didn't always run an I formation. They were more the H back stuff, but still power football, the old school throwback power. Ground and pound football. That's how they got started under the Saban era, and they were the prototype for that. They were the poster child for that. But even Alabama, the poster child for that offense with those elite the running backs they had, they had, they had to change. And down the yeah, they had to change. So I, I think he's spot on. This is something that I, that I've um I've been studying over the past couple of years. And fo- guys, football's evolved. It, it absolutely has. I'm not sitting here and saying that we can't that we have to go to a, a full spread attack and we can't still incorporate power principles. There's still very much a place for power principles in the game of football today, but by sitting there in the I formation in that traditional set, you limit the options that you present to defenses. You limit the ways that you can constrain a defense. And with how how advanced defenses have gotten, how they evolved over the years, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. It's not to say you can't run I formation from time to time, but to have it as the basis of your scheme, it's just not going to work in this day and age. And here's why. Because – and here's why the spread has proliferated to the degree it has. The, to run those power-based I-formation pro-style sets, whatever you want to call it, those ground-and-pound type sets, like the, the man-on-man type stuff where you're testing someone's manhood you're just going to pound it down their throat, that old-school mentality – to make that work, you everything has to be set up perfectly. You have to have the right type of offensive line, big enough, strong enough, powerful enough offensive linemen. You have to have the right quarterback who can make you pay off play action. You have to have really good running backs. You have to have all of those things in place. And if you don't have one of those, if your offensive line isn't up to snuff like ours was not last year, you saw the result. If you have a freshman quarterback or a guy who's not talented enough – you, we saw the result with Grayson Lambert. You saw the result last year with Eason as a true freshman. If you don't have running backs, you saw what happened when when Nick Chubb went out. Okay, yeah, we had Sony Michelle, but you know he's one guy back there. You saw what happened a couple years back when we were stuck with Brennan Douglas and uh, JJ Green as true freshmen. Okay, you saw what happened there. Your offense just does not function. Now you can you can get away with that against teams that have inferior talent to you and teams that have maybe equal talent to you. But when you play the big boys who have maybe a little bit better talent than you, you have no chance when you run those old-school, stubborn-type offenses. When you play the big boys, elite defenses, you've got to be able to challenge them in a multitude of ways. And you can you – can, like I said, you can run power schemes, power blocking schemes out of spread sets, okay? Uh, and and I'm saying also, again, not completely abandoning eye formation. There's a place for it. It just – it's got to be sprinkled in there. Uh, interspersed between different things. You need to be multiple. Uh, but this is, the, uh, but I want to say this, though, too. Here's the problem. like s- Saying that you want to be multiple, that's all fine and good, because I want us to be multiple, too. But it's so difficult in this day and age with a 20-hour rule. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, there's only so many things that you can – so much time you can practice, and there's only so much you can get in in those 20 hours a week that you have with your players. So that, that d- does complicate things to a degree. That's why the off season is so important nowadays. Oh yeah, no doubt. And the off season workouts that are organized by the players themselves—I mean, that's it's critical these days and age. But um, and the run pass options—I mean, that's become just—and there's different types of RPOs that you can run. But it's become a staple of many offenses. I, I don't want to say most offenses, but a lot of offenses out there. And you, uh, maybe you can kind of somewhat run it from an I back set and those power sets, but not near as much. Uh, to the degree that you can if you spread the field a little bit more. So I think Kirby's certainly on something there. Uh, the next quote, though, is somewhat related to that last one. So if we're talking about the offensive scheme, when discuss, discussing the efforts of the coaching staff to improve on the results of last season, Kirby had this to say. You are trying to get better. When you are not with your players, we have gone and spent time with NFL teams, other college teams. We call it professional development. The administration has been really supportive to send our offense and our defense places where we are allowed to go talk to people and get other ideas. We still have to come back and say, if we're adding this, what are we taking out? So are you buying or selling that there will be a noticeable schematic change and adjustment to our offense in 2017? Are you buying or selling that? Um, I'm buying it.
0: I think there has to be. We can't be as successful as we want to be running as vanilla as we were at times last year. Um, You know, especially we're going to have to, you know, spread the field a little bit more uh, go to shotgun more sometimes or or a pistol when we're wanting to run the ball. I mean, we're going to have to do some things to be successful because while we have gotten some better players in there, they're still not going to be fully developed. Um, So you're not going to – just like our offensive line, while we should have better players, they're not going to be upperclassmen yet, so there will be some mental mistakes. So, I mean, you're going to have to do things to give our guys a chance, put them in space, um, make
1: something happen. I agree that it's necessary for us to change and adjust things. I was screaming that last year, but I don't know if I'm ready to buy that statement that there's going to be noticeable changes to our offensive scheme this season because i have to ask you this question. Other than saying that we definitely need to change things up, clearly if you saw last year, what makes you buy that our coaching staff is going to do that? Because they didn't do it. I mean, we changed some things up to a degree last year. We went to more uh, zone-blocking schemes to see some progress once we realized that we couldn't man-block like we wanted to. Oh, you alive there? Yep. Okay. Uh, we went to more zone blocking schemes so we did try to change it up we spread the field a little bit more from time to time but we didn't flat out really go to necessarily what was going to work best for our team throughout the entire season we, we did some things here and there I will say Cheney tried some things he absolutely did but I don't know if there was and maybe you can't do it do you think it's maybe just the fact that doing it in, in season is very difficult to do with a, with yeah, a 20 hour rule yeah, like you said,
0: you, yeah you literally just said we have the 20 hour rule so you can't make that many changes in season
1: I really want to buy this because I think we need to change it up.
0: Well, I think it's another another reason why you have to buy it is because the coaches realize that it's not one of those things where the honeymoon period is over. At some point, you're going to be asked to produce wins, and that time is right now. I mean, he won't be on the hot seat if he doesn't go undefeated. But at the same time, he needs to put some puts together a record. I mean, put some wins out there to, especially in recruiting and you know, to get the fan base excited. I mean, he has to show show a result. So I think it's a little bit of pressure on them to put a better product out on the field. I mean, just like with receivers, while they got some good receivers, they missed out on some guys that they may have wanted. And, and I think they also it – it's one of those pitches where they look at some teams where we throw the ball more, you'll get the ball in your hands and be able to do stuff. So if they're wanting to get some of these playmakers they want, they have to show them stuff on the field to get it, just like possibly a uh, Trevor Lawrence at the quarterback. He saw what Clemson did, and why would that not make you want to go play there when they had a successful quarterback compared to what Easton was able to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, those, those are all fair points. Uh, I just I, – I really want to buy this. I just don't know if I'm ready to go out and limb and buy that there's going to be some significant changes to our offensive scheme because I haven't – I mean, there were some adjustments made last year. There were. Like I said, going to more zone-blocking schemes as opposed to the man stuff that we clearly wanted to start the season with. Uh, we just spread the field a little bit more, uh, put Easton the gun a little bit more where he's more comfortable. But there really weren't wholesale changes. So maybe I'm in a a wait and see kind of mode, and I guess maybe I'm gun shy to buy this because, and I know this is a different coaching staff. uh, Going back to the Rick Dare, but I we hear this often about how coaching staffs are going to go visit with this team, go visit with that team, share ideas, get new ideas, bring them back, and and change and change things up. You know, make the offense more prolific, make the defense scary. You know, you hear these things, but rarely do you see those wholesale changes. And maybe that's not Uh, what you're talking about. You can say that, but but
0: at the same time, you got to see like when. Uh, so you're talking about when Kirby would go to Alabama, or when he went to the Patriots. He didn't get a lot of things except for like do your job, and you know look at the hiring of Mel Tucker, how it changed their defense completely. Um, with the scheme that they wanted to go with, you know, quicker guys that can make some different, uh, you know, make some plays on the ball. It, it, they have shown a history of changing what they've done. It, you got to look at what they've done in the past to change themselves, not has the University of Georgia changed in the past
1: when they've said it, but have these coaches done things in their perspective careers to change things? Yeah, no, I mean, I completely acknowledge that this is a different staff, and I'm willing to give them a chance. I just, I'm just gun-shy buying into these things, because you hear these things, and it really changes. I'll I'll definitely give them a chance and see what happens. I just want the best product out there, and and I I don't know if I'm ready to say that I want to have us completely revamp the entire offense. I think there were things that we did really well and the things that I really like about our offensive scheme. I just... I think that we need to make try to fit our scheme more so to what we have, the talent we have on hand. I don't know if we did that too. I think we did a little bit with the offensive line later in the season, but I don't know if we, we did it fully. Uh, all right, let's move to the next question here. All right, So uh, Kirby had a few things to say about G-Day uh, since it's coming up here. So we're going to start spring practice. And the effect that a large and energetic G-Day crowd can have on the team. That's what he had to say. Uh, I think it's critical. The more we can pack that stadium and make it like a real game, I get to find out how kids respond and adapt to that atmosphere. Any atmosphere we create like that is an advantage for our opening game. So, Kerr, are you buying or selling that the fan turnout for day has an impact on our on-field performance during the regular season? Um, I
0: think it could have a little impact. I don't think it has a ton, but I think it has the impact in the atmosphere um, of holding these guys. You, you, see, this is one of your big opportunities to see what they can do you know, yeah, they have scrimmages, but it's just the coaches there. There's no one watching. This. There's a little bit more, um, you know, butterflies in your stomach when there's people in the stands watching. So when it comes down to it, you know, a couple years ago when it was the same weekend as the Masters and there weren't a lot of people there, the atmosphere of the scrimmage wasn't as big as it was. You know, come last year when it was fully packed, it you know, there's a little bit different feeling and it gives you more of a game feeling, which. You know, I think you can say that players shouldn't have to have that, but it does change the mindset a little bit when the stadium's packed and then you truly do get to see what they can do.
1: Yeah, I mean, anytime you can pack a stadium like that, it's good for your program. But in terms of whether or not it has an impact on our on-field performance, I guess I, I would... Think,
0: I think it has an impact on our judging of what they can do, and I think if they're able to get a better judge, judgment idea of what these players can do, it will change the on-field performance because they put players in a position... That they know that they they have a better idea, a
1: better understanding of what they can do there. Yeah, no, and and that's something that I, that I was going to mention too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It the more game like it can be. It, there's certainly some truth in the fact that the coaches can better evaluate what you're going to do in a game setting. Okay, it's not exactly a game, but it's it's more like you said more so than than a scrim than just some regular closed scrimmage, something like that. Uh, I guess I would kind of have to distinguish between a direct impact and an indirect impact on our performance on the field because is the crowd at G-Day going to make us go out there and beat Notre Dame in the second week of the season? No, it's not. But I do think it has an indirect indirect impact on our performance on the field. If you think about it this way, because the crowd at G-Day helps build the perception of our program. If we have a huge crowd like we had last year and we're rabid, we're energetic – that builds excitement around the program and that perception that Georgia is all in, we're bought in, fans care, it's a great place to come play football. And that perception has a direct impact on recruiting. And then recruiting DeAndre Swift Right, and then you rec- exactly, and those guys that were there, I mean, that Kirby's been very open. Performance. Yeah, he's been very open about how critical um, the G-Day was for not just the, the prospects that were there, clearly for the prospects that were there on hand to see that and, and witness it, but just be, being able to relate it to other players and other players mean telling them what it was like. You know, that has a clear effect on recruiting. So perception is created by these types of things. Around the country, and that perception does impact recruiting, and then recruiting certainly, clearly, is going to impact your performance on the field. So I think it's more of a roundabout impact, not not necessarily a direct impact on what we're going to do on the field, like in week one, week two, week three, whatever. Uh, But I do think it ultimately it's going to impact our recruiting, which will down the road impact our performance on the field. So I I would look at it that way. Uh, All right, a couple more here, real quick. Uh, Okay, when discussing. The somewhat surprising return of both Davin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter, Kirby had this to say about rising senior Lorenzo Carter and his 2016 season. Quote, "Uh, you know Lorenzo affects the game so much. He's so active. The TCU game, it was crazy how many plays he made. Just causing fumbles, stripping the balls down, running things down. He is working really hard. So, Kirby, are you buying or selling that Lorenzo Carter was a disruptive force for our defense in 2016?
0: Um, I'm selling it. While he had some good games, there's some games where he just—you look on the stat sheet—he and he had maybe zero or one tackles, and you're sitting there wondering, did he even play this game?
1: Yeah, I mean, does the guy play hard? Does he's he have just, a good motor? He's yeah. Consistent. I think he—I think he plays hard for the most part, and I get what he's saying. Is I mean, I was down not field level, but pretty close to it for that uh, Liberty Bowl game against TCU, and. Lorenzo was running around like a madman I mean he was playing hard uh, he was running plays down from the backside I mean he was he was not taking plays off now there have been moments in his career early in his career maybe you can say this about a lot of players I don't know but there were moments in his career early on where there well, I don't know if you could always say that he had the best motor in the world and that he was running plays down from the backside and he never took plays off um, but I know in that game in later this season you saw it wasn't just that game it was it was there were quite a few games where he where you noticed that about him. But calling him a disruptive force, I don't know, man. If you look, I mean, he had five sacks last year, and he he was a starter all year long, saw a lot of playing time, a ton of playing time. And there were now you can say yes, there were times where, in kind of like going back to what Jeremy Pruitt was doing with him, since he's so athletic, you drop him back into coverage in certain fire zone situations and the diamond nickel packages, I, and we still are doing that a little too much for my, my liking. But they they're the experts, they're the professionals. I'll I'll trust them there. But I don't know if you can take that one anecdotal game against TCU and say that he w- he was affecting games so much. I I just there were too many games where it's like okay where's Lorenzo Carter you know what I mean? It's like did Lorenzo even play? Like was he hurt that game? You know it's just one of those type things. So I think there were moments where he was disruptive, but I'm gonna sell that he was one of these guys that was just affecting the game so much. I mean if you're a defense coordinator, do you think defense coordinators really had to? Was he one of those guys that's going to disrupt your game plan as an offensive coordinator? You had to where you had to account for uh, Lorenzo Carter game in and game out not, last year. Not compared to the
0: two most two disruptive people we've had lately, and Leonard Floyd and Jarvis Jones. You had to. Yeah, he's not on that level.
1: No, yeah. exactly. Like he those guys are disruptive. Hard. Lorenzo, I hope he becomes that this year. And like, and he played hard most of the season. But I just don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. So I'm going to sell that um all right so let's quickly transition to basketball real quick here I have uh because that was all we have for Kirby but uh let's transition to basketball just for a quick second uh and we'll get you guys out of here in just a minute but obviously we lost last night at home to Belmont Curtis and I were there and uh watched that disaster in the first round of the NIT clearly not the end we were all hoping for but then again when is that ever not the case with Georgia basketball kind of par for the course But in his post-game press conference, Mark Fox had a few quotes that caught my attention, including this one in response to a question about the season as a whole. uh, Coach Fox said, quote, There was more that we wanted to do. We fully recognize that. We have nine of our top ten players coming back, and we have some real talented young men coming in here. I think that the expectation in our locker room is that we'll have a very good team next year. So, Chris, are you buying or selling that we will be quote, very good and improved on the hardcourt next season. I'm completely selling it. Um,
0: It's the biggest load of crock. He's just someone that's trying to give a little bit of excitement around the fact that he's had a failure. It's a real big failure as a season the last two years, um, honestly. Um, it's been a – it's just one of those things, yeah, we have nine of the ten guys coming back, but we're losing J.J.,
1: who – And we might have nine of the ten guys coming back. Because Maton, we're not for sure yet. Maybe he's got some inside word. I don't know. That's if Deontay
0: comes back. And even then, um, I hate to say it, but there has not been the development that we needed
1: out of certain people. Like Mike Edwards did not take a a freshman to sophomore jump. Um, No, he did not. He's got a long way to go. On B-Day, he's getting better, but he's still got a way to go. He improved a a solid bit this Uh, year.
0: Jordan Harris, I saw zero improvement out of him. Zero. But he was still a freshman. I mean, but still, you should you should improve from the beginning of your freshman season
1: to the end. He got worse, in my opinion. Well, he got injured late in the season. I think he made. I think towards the middle of the season in the conference play, he made. He was getting a little. He was. He was scoring more, feeling more I mean, confident. He was scoring more, but he he was becoming more of a liability with the ball. Oh, in that's the chance, true. And then he, he got benched. Yeah, he was, yeah. Making, he was uh,
0: making stupid. Yeah, fouls
1: no, I can't. I can argue making, with that. Um,
0: and then Tyree Crump, he didn't give him enough time to develop. Really, he only played spurts and things. So the thing is, like, yeah, you got these guys coming back, but you haven't developed them well enough for them to be ready to take the reins. I mean, really, Turtle, I haven't seen very little development out of him. The guy's the worst uh, terrible scorer for um, has, for someone that's supposed to be known as a scorer coming into college. Yeah, it's probably um, his
1: best game of the season is Belmont, and that was with 10 points, so it's not saying much. And
0: it was some very ugly shots and yeah. stuff going into that, too. Um, so, you know, it's just a I just think he's trying to just make it sound better for himself. Um, but its I don't see it happening. I completely sell it. These guys aren't ready to take the reins. Hmm.
1: It's really hard to say that we're going to be very good and improve next season without J.J. Frazier. Okay, I know J.J.'s, you know, he's miniature. But the dude, he's such a baller, man. Like, the heart he has... He, he – and Fox said it best himself last night. J.J. willed himself to stardom, him. and he, it's just hard. And that leadership that this guy showed, like this team didn't quit, and I think – and we don't under Fox. I think that's – Fox deserves a lot of credit for that, but you also have to have leadership on your team like J.J. Frazier, who does not let your team quit. I mean, the guy – like we're going to miss him, and Even – yes, he had – you know, he, he really caught fire late in the season when we needed him most. But for the most part throughout the season, he he had a down year shooting the ball. He was like almost in a year long slu- shooting slump compared to where he's been the past couple seasons. But regardless, he's still a really good player, man. And beyond that, like it's it's gonna we're gonna miss him. All right, replacing him is going to be very difficult. It's probably gonna be a, a battle between Crump and, and Turtle to, to take the point. Uh, be interesting to see how that plays how that plays out. I, I don't know at this point. I I I think that Crump is clearly the better playmaker. He does make some questionable decisions, but he was also a freshman this year and really wasn't brought along like he should have been brought along, like you mentioned. Um, But if Yante comes back, we have a chance. Because Yante, I I imagine he'll only improve his range next year, got a little more of a confident ball handler. We've got Rayshon Hammonds coming in from Norcross High School this year, uh, and he's the top-rated recruit that Mark Fox has signed since Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So, you know, I mean, that's not saying much. And so we haven't. Well, Contavius was, was obviously a five star, but we haven't really signed much of anybody that was highly rated in the past couple seasons since that point. Um, but so, I mean, he's a guy that could could play. It could be a stretch four for us potentially. He could slide in that small forward spot. Maybe he could play that spot and be that three that we've been looking for. Uh, Nicholas Claxton's another guy coming in. So <sighs> there are some players coming in. I see what he's saying. We have a lot of guys coming back. But without JJ, it's hard for me to say that we're going to be better. I think we'll have a chance to make the tournament, but.
0: Well, and, I, and I'll be honest, I doubt freshmen to
1: really make that big of an impact. Yeah, exactly. Though. With Fox, I mean, what freshman has really made a significant impact under Mark Fox? Maybe yeah, I mean, you could Cal- say Charles Cal- Mann? Pope, he was forced to, I mean, there was no doubt. Yeah, it was Caldwell Pope. Char- uh, Charles Mann was actually his best season was probably his freshman year, and he regressed well, he every was year dead after that. That year, too, though. He, they yeah. had no one else. Yeah, he had no one else, really and hard. he regressed after that point, year after year after year. Um, but the the way Fox treats his freshmen for the most part, it's it's baffling, and it's let's just say coming to Georgia is not conducive for, for a guy making a splash. Yeah, at the you freshman. see why people don't want to come to Georgia. Yeah, I, I think there's something to that, absolutely. So I, I don't know. If, very no, we're not going to be very good next year. We might be good enough to make the tournament, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. There's a lot of things that have to come together. For that. No, I'm just I'm just saying maybe. Like we have guys on hand that are talented enough to do it. But uh, without JJ losing that leadership, losing that that floor general on the court, uh, I don't know, man. Um, we'll see. And Mark Foss is still going to be your head coach. And what we got two? In, we got two NIT wins in the postseason. His postseason uh, accomplishments in eight seasons at Georgia: two postseason or two NIT wins, no NCAA tournament wins in eight years. Apparently, that's going to keep your job for another year. I don't know. So, yeah, I would, I would sell that. We're not going to be very good. We'll be solid-ish, but that might be the extent of it. All right, guys, that's all we have for you today. We definitely appreciate you guys tuning in, joining us today here on the Glory UGA Podcast. Uh, check back with us next week. We will actually go in a little more detail with the Mark Fox question of whether or not it's time to move on from Mark Fox. We want to step back for a minute, kind of just chew on that over the weekend. Uh, obviously, if you asked me after the Belmont game last night, it would have been a definitive to get him the hell out of here. But I want to kind of let reason and logic soak in, and then we'll talk about that next week. So check back in with us next week. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go Dawgs.